0: Welcome, JC Peeps, to the Junction City Podcast. I'm your host for today, Colby Peterson, and we have a special episode for you. We're going to be interviewing some of the candidates that make up the Weber County Democrats slate of opportunities here in 2020. And so very first on our list, we have from House District 7, which includes North Ogden, a little bit of Ogden, and Pleasant View, we have Mr. Grant Protsman. Grant, thank you so much for coming on the Junction City Podcast.
1: Delighted to be with you today,
0: Colby. We're really excited to talk with not only Grant but a number of other Weber County Democrats, so that the JC Peeps can get an idea of who's on the ballot this this fall and uh, how you can get involved with some of their campaigns to help these folks get over the edge and hopefully we can break the supermajority like we've talked about on the show a number of times, so that Republicans can no longer be holding meetings behind closed doors. You have to do that business in front of the public. So Grant is one of many good folks who are putting their names in the hat to go down and represent the good people of Weber County at the state legislature. Grant, I wanted to start out the episode uh, by just giving the JC Peeps a little bit of background. Tell us about who is Grant Prostman, what do you do? Talk to us a little bit about your history in Weber County, especially in North Ogden where you're running to represent.
1: Sure, I I was born and raised in North Ogden, uh, spent virtually my entire life here with the exception of a couple years in Hawaii, couple of years in brazil uh education in uh colorado and california uh and uh in san diego so it's been my home i know it well i actually served the people uh in most of this district in district 7 same district little different boundaries uh from 1987 to 1997 uh during that ten years in the legislature, uh, I had some great experiences. Uh, I was able to do some very significant things. Uh, broke a log jam on uh, what had been a thirty-year mini-bottle problem in terms of alcohol distribution. Mm. Uh, that was we had crazy laws in place. Folks who remember them uh, can can recount that. I personally don't drink at all, but I look system and said, you know, this is, a, this is a crazy system. We ought to be able to fix it. And uh, basically called all the sides together and came out with some solutions, uh, took them and, and where the bill had for 25 plus years to legalize table service had just gone down in flames this year. It actually got support from a lot of strange places and lack of opposition from a lot of other places and and the bill went through. Uh, It solved two problems with alcohol. Number one, the mini bottle system encouraged overindulgence uh, because folks would buy a mini bottle, it'd be the equivalent of two shots instead of one. Can't have an open container in the car so you have to drink both of them. (laughs) Mm. And uh, so it really fostered uh, overindulgence. The the second thing that happened was you couldn't enforce dram shop regulations, dram shop laws. Where an owner of an establishment who watches someone get drunk and then lets them leave uh, and drive and get into an uh, accident, kill somebody, has, has a liability for that. Uh, we had the laws on the books, as do all states, but because many bottles go back to the tables, people pick them up, they serve themselves. No owner could have any liability because no one knew who drank what. Mm. <laughs> and so you couldn't enforce any liability on that. Uh, so we created something really that was uh, more friendly to consumers, uh, particularly to tourists. Uh, and, and most important, it, it was something that really could be enforced while dram shop enforceability and also did not encourage overindulgence. So
0: yeah, I'm with you that on all the way, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great win, and uh, I'm with you, Grant. I don't drink personally, but I think that, you know, and a lot of folks would probably agree that liquor laws are a little bit funky, and it has been to probably the detriment of our state's economy because folks would rather go and ski in Colorado because they're not some sort of weird laws. They wouldn't necessarily want to come to Utah, which uh, hurts us,
1: I think, overall. It it used to be really strange, (laughs) you know, but but this fixed uh, what the – Hotel, motel association, the hospitality groups—all said was a major problem. Uh, I, I am primarily a problem solver. I, I'm not a—I'm not a partisan ideologue. Uh, what I view here in Utah as the main job of the legislature is to fix things that are not working as well as they should for the citizens. Uh, and we have a bunch of things in Utah that are not working well for the citizens. Uh, when when I was in the legislature uh, in 1992, you know, like it was a stone age, 87 to 97. Uh, I swore I'd never do it again after I left, but uh, I, I've been enticed back particularly because of the problems we face in Utah. But, but in 1992, we had a legislative audit that was scathing about what was then uh, job service. And uh, that program, uh, th- there were all kinds of programs related to job service. There were basically 29 programs in seven different departments scattered all over. People to get the right service had to go all over town to, to find the correct uh, location and, and, and the correct provider. Uh, the report was scathing. Uh, I ran a bill from the JTPA to help improve their, their service. They were the job training program, uh, that was associated with, with, uh, job service. Uh, then the next year I went to work on the whole mess, the whole problem. Uh, governor Levitt, Republican governor at the time said, would you mind if Olene Walker worked with you on this? She was the Lieutenant governor. I said, yeah, I like Olene. We'll do great.
0: And a proud you know? wildcat. That's right. Yeah.
1: You betcha, and uh, so Olene and I held hearings all over the state. Uh, it took us about a year and a half. We listened from uh, from Moab, you know, all the way to Rich County. Visited with representatives of all the departments, uh, all the programs that were involved, etc., and put together a bill that combined all of those into a cohesive program. Uh, the legislation was like 400 and some odd pages long. Wow. It was it was massive, uh, and uh, we started the session. And, and Governor Levitt called this proposal the most massive reorganization of state government in forty years. Uh, it was predicted to save uh, twenty five million dollars. You know, in the first couple of years, it exceeded those expectations. Uh, but this is when it got really interesting. So. Uh, Vicki Varela, who was assistant to the governor at the time, came up and says, well, you know, governor wants to see you. So I go down and governor said, uh, you know, we have a Republican legislature. Uh, and, and so we're going to have to have Republicans run this bill. We appreciate your 18 months of work. I said, hey, I don't care who gets the credit. I don't care who runs the bill, but don't mess it up. You know, and Olene was there and she said, yeah, if you start tugging on this thing from any angle, it'll all come unraveled. Because this is built so the integrity of each of those 29 programs are preserved, but they're coordinated with everything else. And if you start picking at this, it'll all come apart. Mm. Whereas we have total agreement now, we won't have. About uh, four days later, I think it was, Vicki comes back up and says, Mike wants to see you. I was always good when it it was Mike who wanted to see me because it was usually good news. When the governor called you down, it wasn't, (laughs) Uh, but but went down, you know, and and what I was told was we can't find anybody on our side of the aisle to run this bill who is not going to mess it up. Oh, wow. Uh, And and so that's how the the most massive reorganization in Utah government in 40 years was put together by a Democrat, carried by a Democrat in a Republican Senate or Republican House with a Republican governor. Interesting. That's that's how you fix stuff. Yes, sir. You do it right. You put the work in and you address the problem. Just a side note to that. I heard from one of the legislative analysts down there several months back. He called and let me know. He said, you know what, You'll, you'll be happy to know that now we've had 38 states who have asked for a copy of that legislation so they can copy what we're doing because it works Amazing. so well compared to what they're doing. And that's how you make a national change. You do something right here, people look at it and say, whoa, that works, and uh, and then they copy it. Uh, so, I, you know, that's kind of what I like to do. I like-
0: yeah, I agree, because I feel
1: like there are often –
0: there's there are often programs or other things that other states do you know often we hear about the states are the laboratories of democracy and so the states are the places where these kinds of changes are happening and if it goes well it can be fixed or you know changed in a way that works in another states Mm -hmm. so that in another state so that 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 works for their situation particularly but what i think we find often is that in utah especially in the state legislature there is this there is this mantra of the utah way where we're not always I, th- I would say rarely sometimes willing to look at what other states are doing and adopting some of that saying no, no 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 we're going to figure this out ourselves and right. i think it's kind of foolish i mean like you said yeah. you have a great model why not borrow it right. why reinvent the wheel
1: well and, and and we have some serious issues in this state uh ones that, that need frankly out of the box thinking uh and we can no longer just sit around and say all is well in Zion because Mm -hmm. all is not well in Zion. We have serious issues regarding air quality, regarding corrections, regarding education, a host of issues that frankly need some open debate rather than just a legislature that all represents the same perspective and it's written up in in the party platform. Uh, We need some diversity and we need some creative thought. And yes, uh, that's one of the things that, that I hope to bring. I, I have in the past when I served, and I, uh, and I think I'll be able to do that again. Uh, happy to share with you some ideas. Uh, one, one of the real concerns about the state that I have, Cody, is that uh, our correction system really is broken. Uh, nine, the only thing we recycle well here in Utah is criminals. Ninety percent of those that are in the system now are going to be recycled in the system again within ten years. Ninety percent, we're the second worst in the country wow. for that. Uh, that's inexcusable. It's costly in terms of both the individual human cost, the family cost, and in particular the state budget cost. You know we. Uh, there, there are some great models from Connecticut and other places that we can that we can look to. We can develop our own approach to it, but we can't just ignore it. Uh, one, uh, one of the symptoms of this, because of COVID, they had to reduce the population in the prisons. Uh, and so what they did was they took all the folks who had money in their commissary account, who had good behavior. They gave them their commissary money, And they took them in vans down to the front runner station in Sandy and let them out. Now, how many of those, those people are going to find their way back into society. They didn't have, have it prearranged with parole officers. They, they weren't sure that these folks had any place to go. Mm. All they had was the money in their pocket and they were at the front runner station. Uh, To me, that's unconscionable. Uh, And, and, if your goal is to hold down crime, you don't let people back into society with the only way to earn money being the way they did it before, which was criminal. Uh, it, it makes no sense. Uh, we, you know, we really need to address those issues.
0: So Grant, I wanted to take a step back and ask, uh, you mentioned that, you know, you had been out of the state for education. I, I thought maybe you would uh, share some of what that educational journey looked like. Tell us about your education.
1: Well, I, I spent... Uh, Uh, 27 years working in higher ed, 25 at Weber State. Uh, The Wildcats. Yep, the Wildcats. Last night I was assistant vice president for student services. Uh, It it was very rewarding. Uh, It it was a lot of fun Uh, and I I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I spent time, like I say, pursuing education so of course I'm an advocate of education. Mm. Uh, I I have my bachelor's uh, from Utah State, and then I have uh, an MS degree from California American. I I have an MA degree from University of Northern Colorado, and then my doctoral degree is from University of Northern Colorado, uh, focused in motivation management. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition to using that uh, in my positions in in higher ed, I also uh, used it in private consulting, Uh, I go into organizations with a team that are having some difficulties. We analyze the organization, take it apart, put it back together, help them map out a a direction where they'll be successful. And it's, that's very fulfilling. It's really fulfilling. Uh, Biggest company I worked with has had uh, over 200 franchises in all 50 states. Uh, And, and so that was a big audience and, and a lot of things to try to standardize and, uh, and, and get working into sync. Smaller operations are, are also just as rewarding, but that's how I use my education to fixing things. That's what I bring to the state legislature in terms of talents and, and perspective.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking there, Grant, was, uh, you know, you had this experience in the legislature plus the experience from the PhD in your professional career of solving mm-hmm. problems, fixing systems, and that's exactly what Utah could use right now.
1: Yeah, we, we do have some issues that need that need attention. Yeah, and and there are some simple, cheap pro cheap solutions to some of the issues we face. Air pollution, for example. Okay, uh, everybody has solutions that cost a lot of money and and frankly are difficult to implement. Uh, I I went to visit with a couple of mechanics. You know. The the vast majority of pollution in Utah comes from combustion engines, Uh, trucks, cars, etc. And so I said to them, you know, tell me when these cars put out the most pollution. They said, well, when you start them cold, uh, when you idle them for more than 30 seconds, or when you start up from a stop at a stop sign or a stoplight or so on. That's when they put out the most pollution. Hmm. I said, huh. Let's think about this. Uh, So one of the ideas that that I will bring to the legislature if elected uh, is for the state to put together some money and a matching fund for localities and have them go through and do a couple things. Number one, where they can engineer roundabouts rather than stop signs, you know, follow Europe's model because the Europeans actually do have some things they do right, okay, Uh, and roundabouts are one of them. Uh, Second... uh, communities go through and will match funds, but they identify places where they can replace stop signs with yield signs. Uh, There are lots of places where there are stop signs that yield signs would frankly serve the purpose just as well and not be half as irritating nor run (laughs) as often as as where a lot of stop signs are. Um, Third thing, uh, synchronized lights, but in particular after a certain time at night, uh, the main flow flashes yellow, And the theater flows flash red so that you do not have to sit in the middle of the night at a stoplight for 30 seconds or so, along with a half a dozen other cars when no one's coming from any other direction. Mm. Uh, And I know we've all had those kind of experiences. So let's take it, you know, let's let's deal with that. Uh, fourth thing, we, we have a, a type of gasoline channel too, had a great story on this where the uh, pollution is really reduced radically. Uh, and what we ought to do frankly, is cut the gas tax on that type of fuel. Uh, Are you talking about tier three, it, tier three fuels? Yeah. I, I, you can, you can hold it neutral, uh, by increasing it on the other kinds of fuel, but create a financial incentive for businesses to offer that kind of fuel and for citizens to, to go purchase it. Uh, these are simple, simple solutions uh, that address the heart, the heart of the problems that we have. Uh, and I'm sitting back going, how come nobody's ever thought of this? You know, uh, mm. I, I haven't ever seen any legislation like this. I took a look and, and nobody's ever sponsored it. So let's get it going. Local control is in, in charge of it. They're the ones who go through and decide what signs are going to be changed from stop to yield. They're the ones who go through and decide at what time. Uh, lights are going to start to flash yellow and red. Uh, those are all local decisions. Uh, all we do is, is provide a little matching fund to, to match the efforts. They map it out so that it's satisfying to, uh, to the citizens who live in, in each locality. Uh, I, I have a number of ideas like that that I'd that I like to bring to the legislature, things that I think will fix serious issues and do it in a, in a fairly – simple and very economical way uh, like workforce services. You know, I mean, I, 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 point to that and not only is, has it provided better service than the old seven systems that were in place, but it saved tons of money. And, and when you can save money and provide better service, that is a win for everybody. Mm-hmm. And even the employees appreciate that, you know, they, they were just as frustrated with the red tape in the systems as, as citizens were. Uh, we don't have people who like to work in a frustrating environment where they don't have the tools to achieve the things they'd like to achieve in helping others.
0: So Grant, I wanted to ask, well, I was going to say that I think that you're right, that putting out the funds and then letting the localities do it is, is really a genius way to do it because things like you said, like synchronizing the lights, that costs basically nothing.
1: Right you
0: just i mean the technology is already in the ground you just have to have the, you have the willingness to change it yeah. and if other cities are doing it it yeah. creates hopefully a snowball effect across municipalities in the state but the state's uh-huh. not necessarily forcing that upon you it's a local yeah. a local control issue which i like
1: yeah well and 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 one of the one of the beauties of an approach like that is after a couple of years when we start to show some atmosphere improvement other states are going to come here and say what are you guys doing And that's how you make a nationwide impact. You you implement things that other people look at and say, boy, this is really working. How do you do it? You know, and and I think Utah can be the beacon on the hill in doing a lot of those kinds of things. Uh, In in some issues like the corrections issue, there are some excellent models out there that work far better than what we have in place. Uh, But in a number of these other areas, we we can be the leaders, frankly. Uh, Another area is public education. Uh, we have great teachers. We have hardworking teachers. We have great administrators. Utah is one of the lowest in the country in terms of the portion of education budget that goes to administration. They're, you know, they're, they're effective and it's, a, it, it's lean, particularly compared to the other states. Uh, but I, I've, I've come to, to be quite a critic of standardized testing, not as a learning tool, It's a great learning tool to show uh, where students need some additional assistance, but it has become the measuring stick of success for our public education system. Teachers teach to the standardized tests, Uh, they neglect other things to make sure that their students perform well on standardized tests because budgets, promotions, you know, awards, etc., are all based on standardized test scores. Now, I've visited with over 30 CEOs. Uh, and I, I ask all of them a question, how important are standardized test scores to you when you hire somebody? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what most of them do. They laugh. Yeah, they like laugh care. out loud. You know? <laughs> yeah. <We don't> <laughs> they, they, they go, they're irrelevant. Yeah. They're irrelevant. Now, I'm asking, why do we base the success, measuring the success of our school system on something that the vast majority of employers find irrelevant? So I dig down a little deeper and say, well, what do you really want in, in a high school graduate? Uh, invariably, some things come out, you know, things that are really clear. Number one, uh, we want people who can play well together. Okay, I go, what does that mean? Teamwork. We want folks who can work well as a team in person and digitally, electronically. You know, they, they know how to work with other people. Uh, and, and it's hard to find that. We don't find that in high school graduates. We have to teach it. You know, I said, wow, that's, that's something. They said, we want people who we know will get water to the end of the rope." Basically they're given a task, they'll complete it. Uh, they're, they're dependable. Uh, we need people who are critical thinkers and can solve problems rather than just shutting down the line and waiting for a supervisor to come tell them what's wrong and how to fix it. We want people who are critical thinkers who are problem solvers. Now, as you take a look at those things, standardized testing measures none of those. <laughs> those are all soft skills, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, uh, they standardized tests don't measure any of them. Hardly any jobs, frankly, these days need calculus. You know, uh, hardly any of them need us to memorize a truckload of facts, which was the case when I graduated from high school and went to the university. Uh Basically, uh, with the electronics that are available now, you have access to any information you need. What you have to be smart enough to discern whether it's valid information or not. You gotta be able to analyze whether whether it's valid, how it was put together, does it apply to my particular situation? Uh, that's the skill people need. They don't have to memorize all kinds of things. You get an answer to everything, you know, virtually on, on Google if you know how to if you're digitally competent, which I'm not, (laughs) you know, and. You're doing uh, pretty
0: well here today. (laughs) Give yourself some credit. You're doing pretty well.
1: Yeah. But, but uh, you know, we, there, there, there's great opportunities there. And frankly, these things are measurable. And to me, they're far more important than the standardized test scores that really came as a mantra with no child left behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's an easy measure. And I will not say that it's not important, but it certainly shouldn't be the method that we use to evaluate whether our education system is successful or not. What I'd like to do is get together a group of employers and educators and parents and say, okay, what do we want in a high school graduate? Let's put together a model of what a high school graduate should look like, and then let's reverse engineer the whole darn system so that that's what we come out with. Uh, because, frankly, standardized testing, the only thing that measures, not the only thing, but but the major thing it measures is your ability to take standardized tests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and anybody who's been through it can, can tell you that, you know, there's a strategy to taking standardized tests. Some people always do well. Some people don't. Uh, and it does. It has nothing to do with native intelligence or capacity to think or learn. You know, it, it's a skill.
0: So, Grant, I was going to ask. At the state legislature, what role could they play in sort of changing the way that we educate students in the state of Utah? Because we have the state, you know, the Board of Regents right. at the at the university level. You have, I mean, there are so many different bodies yeah. that, that are part of education well, in Utah. What role can the legislature play to help help that process along?
1: There there, there are a couple things the, legisl- the the legislature really should do. They're the ones who mandate that the scorecard is standardized testing. Uh, And and they can change that mandate. Uh, I'd like to see the legislature really explore what do we want in a high school graduate and start the reverse engineering process. Uh, The vast majority of good paying jobs these days does not require, they don't require uh, college education. They don't. What happened in our education, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that there's,
0: a, there's sort of this disconnect there because what you'll find is there is a requirement for a four year degree, but not necessarily the education that comes with that degree. So well, yeah. all, all they want to see is that you completed college. Right. They yeah. don't care what you completed college in a lot of times, right?
1: You're right. You're right. Many yep. uh uh-huh. that, that that's the case in a lot of the majors that students graduate with. Uh, but businesses, frankly, are getting a lot more intelligent these days and, and they are looking for students who have a particular set of skills, many of which can be picked up at the uh, technical colleges, you know, in 12 or 18 months. Yep. And a lot of the students who graduate from that do better. Than the university graduates do in terms of income job stability et etc uh, i 'm actually
0: experiencing that right now. I have a four year degree got a master 's degree as well, and uh, we lost our jobs because of the downturn with covid so uh, i 'm currently studying at the ATC in construction uh-huh. to learn these building skills, which can you know kind of get me back up to where I want to be, hoping to get into uh-huh. a, some trade work which is also training that happens at the applied technology centers. And I wish that, you know, yeah. somebody had told me that in high school, it's like, Hey, you can go over here to the ATC, no student debt. You can pay as you go. When you right. get out, you know, right. I, I would make a pile uh, yeah. of cash.
1: We we have so, so many problems and what's happened recently is that the higher education has totally absorbed the technical colleges, which frightens me to death because frankly, the higher education institutions uh, are, have never wanted the tech side of things. They've never wanted, frankly, public ed hasn't wanted in the early fifties, the mantra became, if you go to college, you'll be successful. And so public ed switched from a real mix of vocational and, and technical education to college prep. And that's what K through 12 to a great degree has become. And they had At that time, vocational centers within the high schools that taught a wide variety of things in every high school, but with the change in focus to go to college, uh, those, it got to the point that high schools could not support all of the programs, and finally they created area vocational centers. The area vocational centers recognized quickly as the world changed that uh, it's not just hammers and nails and so on and so forth now, but there are technical programs that pay very well. Uh, a lot of the, the computer repair programs, so on and so forth, they qualify through the ATC. They don't need a four year degree and they make a fortune. You know, they, they make really good money. Uh, and so I actually carried the bill that changed area vocational centers to, to area technical center area atcs area technical mm-hmm. centers uh, to to show that it wasn't just fixing uh, an auto engine and, and and learning how to how to build a box with miter joints mm-hmm. uh, and they've flourished they've done very well I uh, and i think what's happened is higher ed's seen the writing on the wall and because the tech schools have great placement rates and the universities don't <laughs> because the tech schools graduate students uh, at a very high percentage without much student uh, student debt and the universities don't. They just absorb the ATCs and it pads their stats so as a system they look better. Uh, But my fear is that the whole aspect of what the tech colleges do now is going to be subsumed by higher ed. And I have to tell you, public ed didn't want vocational or technical ed. They spun it off uh, now that it's become popular you know and, and higher ed didn't want it Weber State they got rid of every tech kind of program they had Co- cosmetology dental assisting on and on and well, on Well
0: they still have dental assisting but uh, you're right yeah. so I used to raise money at the university and I would meet a lot of alumni who especially mm-hmm. who had graduated in the 60s or in the early 70s yeah. and some of those folks had business degrees but the way that they paid their way through school was they took that technical aspect that used to exist when Weber was a state college yeah. and they would go through and learn how to be a plumber so they got right. that 2 year degree in that and then they would finish. And get a bachelor's degree in business. So they were a plumber with a batch with a business degree. Now they went and started their own business. A lot of those folks were very wealthy because oh, and they yeah. came Absolutely. and they came out with no student debt. And what yeah. I think we're seeing now is um, so you know spending my time at the ATC, but also going through the the university system and having worked at the university, I see it feels like. There's a bit more of a partnership now between the two. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning about construction. Um, but what I'm learning is if you, could, you could learn all these things and you could get the certificate in construction. Uh, but then you can take those credits if you so choose and you can go up to Weber State and you can get a construction management degree. I don't necessarily want to do that. I'm good with higher education, uh, with, with college degrees. <laughs> but yeah, you, you can. Have enough. <laughs> I got enough, right? I have enough. But, uh, but I wonder what, I mean, how, how, would, you, how would you categorize that? Mm -hmm. that relationship that exists now between the universities and the technical colleges compared to what it used to look like?
1: Well, I, you know, I think that there is, you know, I think there is a close correlation in my sense is that the beauty of the way it was put together is the technical colleges had their own board that preserved the focus of those technical schools. So folks who didn't want to go for a four year degree or so on could be in and out, Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I hate to see the, the, the focus uh, of an independent board that has that as a goal get subsumed because I know when push comes to shove, if you're in the same funding bowl as uh, a medical program at the University of Utah versus a plumbing program in Logan, I, I'd hate to be trying to make the case for the tech program. Uh, and, and I... You lose that when you when, when you combine the two, you, you lose the specialty aspect of technical schools think there. There can be a lot better cooperation, but whatever happens, do not lose that. Come in, work your way through at your own pace and leave with no student debt. Uh, and, and that's not how the educate the higher ed system works. And I am scared that what's happening there is going to filter down to the tech schools. Uh, really, really nervous about that. And, and let's talk about student debt. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've done some research in this. I
0: carry uh, the, quite a bit of
1: it. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. i got a bunch. The first year uh, when I was in, in, uh, in, moved into higher ed, uh, at the, uh, the University of Utah, the tuition was such that I could work 210 hours over the summer and pay for my tuition. Hmm. Totally, boom. Now in the, and in, in the minimum wage then was a dollar 60. Okay. <laughs> now at, uh, at today's minimum wage, seven twenty five, a student has to work like 1280 hours. It's basically impossible. To pay for a year's tuition. And you will wonder why, student, uh, and that doesn't include, you know, books and extra class fees and so on and so forth that are tacked on. Uh, it, uh, 1,280 hours, you cannot do a summer job or a part-time job and pay your way through school anymore uh, the way that a lot of us did. Uh, I worked summers, uh, worked really hard, got a lot of overtime, had good pay, uh, and I never had problems with tuition. Uh, I was on scholarship most of the time, but, you know, basically, uh, you know, I could cover everything. Students can't do that anymore. It's yeah, so just impossible.
0: doing some quick math there, if you were to work those 1,240 hours at yep. 40 hours a week making the minimum wage, it would take you 32 weeks, yep. all of your money going toward just tuition. Right. There are only 52 weeks in a year. <laughs> You'd have 20 <laughs> weeks left to, to pay your bills yeah, the rest yeah. of the year working. Yeah, for and,
1: and back, you know, I mean, and back in my day, you know, that was that was like – five, six weeks' work that you did in the summer. Uh, and, and, and people today are so critical. Well, why don't you do it the way that we did it? You know, well, because they can't, because they've been priced out of the game. Uh, so we need to address that. Uh, the, the, the high loan costs that the students graduate with, graduate with these days is not because the students are stupid, you know, it's because they that they, they think that's the only way they can get through. Uh, the other thing that happened is once we included privatized lenders in, in mm. uh, university education, uh, it wasn't just Stafford loans and so on anymore that had a reasonable rate and flexible repayment plans. It it became a, a commercial business, and the goal of a commercial business is to sell the loan. Yes, sir. <laughs> You know, so they, they yes. don't look out for the long-term well-being of the person who's taken out the loan. It's to sell the loan.
0: No, we, we saw that exact issue in the 2008 housing crisis, right?
1: You know, it was sell uh-huh, the loan. Yeah.
0: We're, not, we're not worried about, you know, oh, yeah. you can't pay it once the interest yeah. rate goes up to 12% or more? Oh, yeah, right. We don't care.
1: Yeah. And it's, to, to me, uh, this whole thing needs to be addressed and students need to be aware you know, as consumers in high school about what they're getting into and the choices they're making. Uh,
0: yeah. I agree. I, and I like the idea, Grant, of sort of like what I learned mm-hmm. when I was raising funds from some of these other folks who are seeing the technical colleges as mm-hmm. not necessarily an alternate path, but right. a stepping stone toward a college degree in a way that is much more yeah. financially sound because no. you've always exactly. got this trade to fall back on. And you can right. go and get your four-year degree, which will help you advance into mm-hmm. higher reaches, or you can stop it your, with your technical education. And that's just fine. You can raise a family and with that money. Right. Or you can go on. I like the idea of a system like that. It's much cleaner, and there's always the fallback of I can get a job no matter what. Because that's the issue right. that a lot of young people have. It's an issue that I had graduating because I chose not to work for mm-hmm. the government the way that I was trained. And mm-hmm. so it was like, well, you're out on your own, Colby. You don't have the training to really get another job, right. so
1: good luck. Yeah, <laughs> and, good, and good luck. Uh, a lot of times when students graduate from the university, all they have is a hunting license you know, uh, most of the folks who graduate from the tech schools, ninety-five uh, percent of them move into something where they can earn decent money almost immediately. Yes, uh, you know, and, and, and let me tell you, when the pipe breaks in the middle of the night, who are you going to call? <laughs> you know, I you know, I, I'm not going to call the dean or a vice president up at the university. I'm going to call a plumber who knows what they're doing. Yes, sir. <laughs>
0: So Grant, I wanted to tie this back to another issue that we talked about earlier, which was recidivism uh, uh, in the criminal justice system in Utah. What role do you think that education can play? Because a lot of folks complain like, well, you shouldn't go to prison and get a free education. But I think that the tech colleges have a role to play in all this. Uh, What could Utah do and what could the state legislature do to make that investment in folks to make sure that they're not going back to prison and we're not continuing to pay for them to sit in prison again for a number of years because of, uh, because of reoffending or whatever.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, I think in particular the tech schools have a great role to play there. Uh, and, and private industry does also uh, bullfrog spas, you know, basically most of their spas are built down prison, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, with prison labor. Uh, those guys leave understanding the, the plumbing aspects, the pump aspects, as well as the construction aspects of those, uh, they, ha- they have marketable skills. You know, uh, I think there's a lot of partnerships like that that can be established. Once again, Connecticut does a wonderful job. They have a great partnership between their tech ed programs and, and their prison systems. And basically, those who want to leave with the skill, leave with the skill. And that's one of the reasons why they have a, a tremendously low rate of returnees to get corrected again in the correction system because they leave with the skill. And many times they move into a job because they've proven themselves to be dependable, honest workers already before they're ever out of prison. Mm. Uh, and there's no reason that, that we cannot implement that. And in the long run, it is so it's such a savings and it's so more efficient and effective to do it that way. Uh, you, you don't have prisoners whose families are now dependent upon the state. Uh, they're, they're dependent, you know, their, their meals and so on and so forth are paid by taxes, but, but the implications of this for the rest of the family, uh, these are horrendously expensive. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't understand why we don't just look at it from a dollars and cents standpoint and say, okay, anybody who's here in this system who wants to learn a trade uh, or, you know, or whatever, you know, that's going to move them into production. We need to support that. We need to align. We need to partner uh, and, and we need to facilitate. Uh, and right. we don't do that. You know, we, I do, agree. we don't do that. You don't do that by giving people their commissary money and bussing them to the, the track station in sandy <laughs> you, you don't
0: you, you, that it is definitely not the way uh, unless you want them to come back
1: yeah really uh, yep uh-huh. uh grant
0: I, I wanted to wrap us up with a final question um you talked about spending time 25 years at, the, at weber state university my alma mater go wildcats always yeah um but you also spent a fair bit of time learning at the university of northern colorado in Greeley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so when the Wildcats play the Bears, who do you root for on game day?
1: <laughs> well, you know, basically 25 years, you know, at Weber State versus, you know, four years working on, you know, on degrees, uh, you know, agree the uh, uh, summers, you know, and so on. Uh, now, I, you know, I like the Bears, but, you know, when the Wildcats play the Bears, uh, I, I'm a Wildcat. oh Oh, yeah always will be that's
0: that's what i want to hear grant that's exactly what i want to hear always go wildcats (laughs) there you
1: go you got it well grant
0: I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today about a couple of the issues that you you're talking with folks about in the community, knocking mm-hmm. on doors, chatting with them, socially distanced, um putting out signs, all that great stuff that goes into building a successful campaign. What can folks do to get more involved with the Grant Protsman campaign in House District uh,
1: there there the main thing they can do is go to our uh go to our campaign page, it's protsmancampaign.com. Okay. And then there are ways to get involved. Uh there, there are ways to donate time and money, but, but also time. Uh, there are opportunities there that we're, we're putting up uh, every week. We have events and so on that we can use people helping us with. We're running a series of voter registration and, and free smoothies uh, for folks and saying, you can either come here and get registered to vote or get us free smoothie or both, you know, mm. and uh that, uh, I, you know, I think that's going to be successful. We've, we've sponsored a number of service projects throughout, throughout the district. Uh, our last one will be on Labor Day on Monday. Uh, we're, there's a nature trail behind the amphitheater at Barker Park here in North Ogden that is just totally overrun, has fallen trees, so on and so forth. It, it's a great nature trail. There's even a fox den on the trail but people can't get to it so we're, we're sponsoring a cleanup uh, there we've advertised it. we've sent out 8300 flyers throughout the uh, the community here and uh, are sponsoring treats and so on for people who from nine work from nine to eleven and last till 1105 you know they'll they'll, they'll get a reward uh, but I I hear people talk about how much they don't want an increase in taxes. One of the ways to avoid the increase in taxes is let's work together to do the things we can to, to keep our community rolling rather than paying taxes to have hired people do it for us. And these kinds of things, Wadman Park in Pleasant, View Barker Park in North Logan. we get a group of 50, citizens together and we can take care of the problems of that park in a few hours and get it functional. Uh, and and if we want to save taxes, let's get involved and take care of what needs to be done ourselves.
0: I like that mantra. If you want to save tax money, get involved because that's what it
1: takes. True. Thanks, Gold.
0: Grant, well, like I said, I appreciate you coming on uh, the Junction City Podcast. Talk about your campaign. And like, like Grant said, folks, if you're interested in getting involved, if you live in North Ogden or the northern part of Ogden or uh, Pleasant View and you'd like to do more or even if you don't and you're inspired by Grant's words, go to protzmancampaign.com opportunities mm-hmm. to volunteer and also to donate some money to help grant get elected. It'd be a good one to have back up at the legislature.
1: You know, Colby, we also have our phone number on there and it's on all of our yard signs. And I love to visit with people because I get good ideas from them. Yeah. And so I like to hear that, what they have to say, ideas and opinions and, and visit with them. So wow. have them call. Wonderful. Thank you.
0: Well, that's all we have for you for this special episode, JC Peeps. Um, As always, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're in all those places. Don't forget to join our Facebook group, the Junction City Forum. That's where a lot of the conversations go. If you're not in the loop on some of the things that are happening in the the community, it's a great place to go to find out about those. We'll be sharing Grant's uh, Facebook event for this cleanup coming up very soon in the group. So stay in the know. Uh, With that, uh, we want to thank you for for listening to the show. And like we say every week, all politics is local.